Blue Wire. Here's Thielen wide open. Touchdown, Minnesota. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. That's for Hopkins. Oh, my goodness. Did he catch that? That's the touchdown catch of the year. Antonio Brown goes up and gets it. Touchdown. Welcome to another episode of the Press Coverage Podcast. I am your host, former NFL and AFL defensive back, Eric Crocker. If you're not following me already, follow me on Twitter at Eric underscore Crocker. Also, follow the Press Coverage Podcast account at Press Cub Podcast. Tons of content and even more content because I'm having two guys come on and help me run the Twitter account uh, for Press Coverage. They'll be putting out, I have one guy, he's a receiver coach, he's going to be helping me put out receiver content. I have another person that's a defensive back coach. And I think I just want to give a different perspective, a different view. He might see things different um, like than the way I do. And I think overall that it just help give you guys the best content possible. All right. So I have a couple of new guys coming on. I'll be announcing that uh, by the time you guys hear this. And man, I'm just, you know, I get a ton of messages about, hey, man, this is the best defensive back page there is and, and it's like man i want to be the best receiver and defensive back page so um yeah i just want to give all y'all uh just more things to learn from because I, I definitely get a ton of messages about how much people appreciate it and how much they learn kids tell me they learn so much from the the page just learning about technique and a bunch of different things all right and that's what i wanted wanted to do with it so um yeah i have two two new guys coming on and i'm excited about that all right but uh with no further ado I'm going to get into this week's episode, all right? And and the first thing that I want to talk about is the importance of defensive backs. And is it diminishing, right? So I have um, this podcast I listen to faithfully. John Middlecoff, he has one that's the Three and Out podcast on uh, Colin Cowherd uh, Network. And then he has another podcast called Haberman and Middlecoff. I, I listen to those faithfully. Like, there's not an episode that goes by that I haven't listened to, I'd say, in the last six months to a year like I, I listen to it that faithfully i think john middlecoff he's pretty he's really good at what he does podcast he makes me know like okay crack you gotta raise your game because this guy's this guy's good he's really good just the way that he delivers the content the 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 end how he's in with you know guys around the league and you know he can just text guys and he, he was a former scout right he was a scout for the philadelphia eagles and um he talks about how he got there you know uh, he started i, I want to say at fresno state kind of helping out there and he kind of wiggled his way through and became a scout. But anyways, John Middlecoff talked about how, you know, basically if, if, if he were building a team, he would build from the front seven and out. And I, I think we hear that a lot, but with the new rules and stuff, and we're going to get into that, it is making it harder and harder and harder for defensive backs to play the position, right? Um, even if you have a shutdown guy, if we, we saw it last year, Richard Sherman wasn't targeted a lot, right? He always held down his side of the field for the most part. Um, and then against the Packers in a key situation, he was following, um, Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams ran like a corner route or like an out or something like that. And Richard Sherman kind of grabbed him a little bit and boom, holding and, they called holding on Sherman. DeForest Buckner sacked uh, sacked Aaron Rodgers, and that would have ended the game. But because of a contact downfield, 
you know, they threw the flag and, and the Packers ended up, you know, driving down and winning the game. Well, they've made it damn near impossible to play this position at a high level. If you look at PFF scores and all that, like when, when it comes to defensive backs, it's up and down, right? There's not a lot of consistency with it. So do you pay a guy top dollar, right? So Jalen Ramsey, he wants a huge contract. And he, he's great. Best corner in the league, right, in my opinion. So he's probably he's probably he's gonna want a lot of money, uh, fifteen between fifteen and twenty million dollars a year, and somebody's obviously gonna pay it because this shit he's he's a, he's a guy, but with how the rules are kind of shaping out, you got pass interference replays and stuff, and we'll get into that. But it's making it so hard to play the position. So, and, and this is just a pass happy uh, league in general. So so what should you do? Build up that front seven. Put all your money into that, right? So now you have guys that disrupt the timing of quarterbacks, throw guys off. And at the end of the day, if you can just get a sack strip, you know, late in the game or something like that, like, you know, or, or have somebody forcing the quarterback to, you know, move off his spot and throw before he wants to, ball gets tipped, whatever interception, like, that's, I feel like that's the way the league is going. You have to be very disruptive up front. And then just have capable guys on the back end. Now, if you can scout defensive backs, like, I feel like I'm kind of good at it. Um, You can find guys in the draft. And even then, I probably wouldn't even pick a guy high in the draft. Get some guys in that second or third round that you feel like, hey, I got a bunch of these little cover guys, second, third round guys, and I'm continuing to pump those guys out each year. Or, you know, every two years I'm drafting new guys. And just, yeah, load up on that front, on the front, on the pass rushers. Load up on... You know, pass rushers and free agency. Spend big money there because it's getting harder and harder to play a defensive back position. Now, they have this damn, you know, challenge rule now to where now they can go back and look at a pass interference call and or, you know, if, if even if it's not called and go back and they can change the ruling. So now they made it even more difficult to play the position. Like, it's already – cornerback has been the hardest position period, in football. Outside of quarterback that has the most responsibility, um, cornerback from a physical aspect, you've always been at a disadvantage. The offense knows where they're going, defense back doesn't. You have to react to everything, right? A lot of times moving backwards and, and react forward. Well, now, you know, in kind of recent years, in the last decade or whatever, they've put in illegal contact. There was there used to not be illegal contact. It's not in college football. It's not in high school football. It is in the NFL. So one, that's made it hard. All right, so now you have the illegal contact, and and then you you have spot fouls, right? If if I touch a you know uh, you know passing the fear guy downfield twenty yard quarterback just throws it up. I saw this with Tom Brady against Jaguars in the AFC Championship a couple years ago, and he just threw the ball. He like he threw like three fades in a row to one of his receivers down the sideline, and finally they they uh called P.I. like on the third one. And it's like, dude, what the hell? Like, he's just throwing the ball out there hoping that he gets a pass interference call. It's not fair, all right? It is it's impossible to play the position. So load up on your front seven. Get guys that get after the quarterback. Cornerbacks, the market might start dwindling. It's getting harder and harder to play the position. Invest in front seven and... Draft guys in mid-rounds that can cover.
Now, I talked a little bit about the, the you know, replay and the, the challenge, you know, now that you can do the new rule. I think I saw somewhere that is something that they're trying for a year. So we'll see how that works. But it got me thinking, and my content creator, Mike, from Nothing But Niners, uh, got us thinking about uh, what games previously would, would that rule have affected. <laughs> All right. So obviously the one that comes to mind immediately is the Rams-Saints game last year where, you know, Drew Brees threw a ball into the flats and the DB just blows up the intended target well before the ball is even there or is overthrown, whatever the hell. He was way early, right? And it wasn't it wasn't called. And I think ultimately that cost them a game. That, that cost them the opportunity to kind of close the game out right there. Now, we, I will say this. They did still kick a field goal and the Saints defense couldn't get a stop. But... Uh, that was a huge play because that would have gave him, what, first down or, like, around the 10-yard line. So uh, that's the first game that comes to mind, you know. And just how, like, this rule would change things. I, I feel like for them to overturn, like, a call on the field, because already pass interference is, is so subjective to, to the eye. Um, I, I say it all the time. I, I don't put a whole lot of stock into pass interference calls because – it can be the slightest of touch, and they call something, and they all see it differently, and you know. So, I, I think it would have to be egregious, like what we saw in the Saints game, for them to overturn it. Now, there's another, there's a few games I say uh, where I think having that rule would kind of change things. Um, outside of the Rams uh, Saints game, Seahawks and Falcons a few years ago. This had some playoff implications, and you had it was late in the game, last drive for the Falcons. They threw a deep post to Julio Jones with uh, Richard Sherman hanging all over him. And Richard Sherman actually pulled his arm before down before uh, uh, Julio can even like go up for the ball. And he had to go up kind of like with one hand. And it was I don't know, it looked hella awkward. And I don't even know why I remember this play. Well, maybe because I hated the Seahawks. And I was like, dude, that's P.I. Anyways, that, that call now would be challenged. And I think the out the outcome of that game would be changed. Now I think the Falcons is it the year they went to the Super Bowl? They might have still went to the Super Bowl that year, or it might have been the year before that. But um, yeah, uh, a big time, um, you know, no call like that in a big moment can really change a lot because in the NFL, every single game matters, whether it's for home field advantage, whether it's just make, trying to make a wild card. Um, there's not as big a difference between teams that win seven games than teams that win ten. It's really just a play here and there. The the other game, which kind of hits home for me, is the 49ers and the Ravens in the Super Bowl. Michael Crabtree, he's going up. And, okay, so maybe I need clarif- clarification on this. I think Michael Crabtree was held. I, I don't think it was passing the fence. So can you review defensive holding on the defensive back? Because that's more of what was going on with the Michael Crabtree play. Well, Michael Crabtree kind of initiated the contact a little bit, but as he was going, trying to fade to the ball, the defensive back just wrapped his arms around him. And it was a no call. So they kind of changed history forever with that one. 49ers uh, went on to lose, obviously, by, what, three points, I, I think? Um, two points? Yeah. 49ers lost the Super Bowl. But um, 
yeah, those are just a few games off the top of my head that, you know, definitely would have made a difference having that challenge of the rule. And I'm interested to see how it works out this year. I'm definitely not a big fan of it. I, I think that pass interference calls should be just something that's called on the field. If it's missed, it's missed. If it's not, it's not. Um, but it's so subjective. And when you start slowing things down and just looking at it like, oh, he touched him here. Should I call it or not? I, I think it just has to be egregious like the play in the Rams-Saints game. So we'll see how this whole thing works out. I've seen uh, a few challenges um, in uh, preseason so far. I don't think I've seen anything overturned. But we'll see how it plays out as the season goes on. So as we know, there's a big-time receiver right now that's kind of going through some things and I, I it looks like he kind of went backward back on his word about he wanting to retire but you know Antonio Brown he he's been holding out because I mean he has these terrible feet I don't know if you guys seen it his feet look like a, a melting candle or I, I don't know it is it's really is terrible but anyways um he has these bad feet and then he started <laughs> he, he he wants to wear his old shut Right now, now we're not talking about because I wore a shirt. I wore an Eric's piece shirt. Have my uh, we call it Dickerson. Some people call it Dion. You know, it's the face mask. Dion Sanders wore Eric Dickerson wore. Um, on Madden they call it the robot. I don't know why they call it that. But um, I had the Eric's piece, and this is a little, little more updated. It looks the same on the exterior, right? So if you look at my helmet and you look at Antonio Brown's helmet, they look the same. Now. Antonio Brown has the air the the shut from like when I was in high school, like when I was, you know. So I'm talking about 2003, 2004. Like he he has that shut with the styrofoam padding, and his reasoning for wanting to wear it is it doesn't slide down. He's tried the other helmets; they slide down like when he hits, which I agree they do. Like my like the Air XP I have. When I hit somebody or something like that, it does slide down a little bit. So I, I and it, and he's saying that it uh, messes up his vision, like you know, from you know what he's trying to look at. So I I agree I agree to a certain extent with that. Now this big deal about him wanting to wear his helmet, I get it. The league wants to be super safe, and they're doing everything they can to you know prevent guys from injuries, and really they're just getting their asses sued. So they want to stop that, but. If you don't want guys to sue certain things, make them sign waivers, right? So if Antonio Brown wants to wear his goddamn styrofoam shut helmet, make him sign a waiver. You can't sue us, right? Go over everything with your lawyers or whatever. Just make sure that there's nothing he can do to sue and let him wear his helmet that he wants to wear. Now, I was listening to this other podcast, and they were talking about hockey players. And I guess back in, back in the day, hockey players did not wear helmets. And then, and then eventually, they you know guys were taking pucks off the head. Didn't sound too fun. Um, so guys were taking pucks off the head. So eventually, they put in the rule that guys had to wear helmets. Now, if you were a player that was playing pre, you know the rule of having to wear helmets, you didn't you still didn't have to wear the helmet. So it was kind of like you're a grandfather then. Right. So kind of think about like, you know, some of you guys, you have your cell phones and you've had your same cell phone bill for years. And then the company changes something, but they can't change yours because you're grandfathered in. Right. That's the same same thing with um, what hockey did. If you played 
and one and if you played when you didn't have to wear a helmet, you had the choice of wearing a helmet or not. But anybody that came into the league from that point on had to wear a helmet. I feel like that's what they should do with Antonio Brown. If Antonio Brown wants to wear his styrofoam shut helmet, let him wear his helmet. He should be grandfathered in. He's been wearing it for this long, and he's been playing terrific with it. I would hate for his helmet to be the reason. I don't think it would be the reason why he fails. Um, but I would hate for that to even be, like, on his mind. I just want him to play if I'm the Raiders. Just play. And if he feels like he has to wear his styrofoam helmet to be the best him, let him wear it. Now, me, I am a shut guy through and through. <laughs> through and through. I, I love my shuts. When I was in college, um, when I was in college, when I went to the university, I went to the University of Arkansas at Monticello. It's a UAM, a Division II school, uh, southeast part of Arkansas. Well, when I got there, they had, I don't even know if they had shuts or if they had these Rydell helmets, but they had a bunch of rev- Revos, and I refused to wear a Revo. Like, I was not going to wear a Revo. So what did I do? Got my ass on the internet, ordered me a 200-something dollar helmet, ordered another, you know, it cost me another $50 for my face mask, and I had the helmet that I wanted, and I still have it to this day. It's in my, uh, it's in my man cave. Um, I, I, I refuse to wear shit. So I, I mean, I refuse to wear a Revo. So I get where he's coming from with, like, he wants to play with what he feels comfortable in. Now, I will say this. As somebody that was a shut guy, through and through, uh, my first year in the AFL, I wore a shut. Um, from there, I went to the NFL. I wore a shut. When I got back to the AFL, I got drafted to this team, number one overall pick, to this team um, in Portland, and they didn't have shuts. All they had were Revos, Revo uh, Speeds, right? And I'm looking at the helmet, and I'm like, this helmet has, like, the design on there. I can't I can't order my, sh- my shut if I wanted to. What the hell? So... That year, I had to wear a Revel, and I had 11 interceptions. So, I still was balling. Um, now, AB, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I, I, I expect, I said on the last podcast, I expect for his production to take a hit anyways. And, and that was before, you know, we saw how terrible his Freddy Krueger-looking feet are. Um, I, 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 I just thought Derek Carr... He's not Ben Roethlisberger, and I, I get Ben Roethlisberger gets a he gets a bad rap a little bit, but to me, he's he's an extremely good. He's a top eight quarterback in the NFL for sure, and he always, always, always was willing to give Antonio Brown opportunities. I don't see him getting those same opportunities with Derek Carr. Maybe I'm wrong, but we'll see. But uh, the feet thing, the helmet, just it just looks like a disaster there in Oakland. I hope they lose every game. Get their ass out of California. Football season is here, people, and it's time to start placing your bets in the NFL and college football. Blue Wire is teaming up with sports information traders and the legend John Price, one of the world's most successful sports bettors. So our listeners are given a chance to make some more money in football this season. So go to sportsinformationtraders.com slash blue, the blues for blue wire, and get the college football and NFL feature plays and make up to 15 times your money for only $99 investment. 
Last year, Sports Information Traders correctly predicted the Clemson Tigers to win the college football championship, making one client alone $110,000. The year before that, Curly Presley of Sports Information Traders made $1 million with a preseason wager on the Philadelphia Eagles to win the Super Bowl. John Price and the Sports Information Traders team can guide you to the best ways to make money on future bets and preseason football picks. You can get all that for just $99 and the opportunity to make 15 times your money. It's totally worth getting the sports information trading betting picks. Sports Information Traders has been featured on ESPN, Gambling911.com, Entrepreneur Magazine, and many more. John Price has been successfully making money betting on sports for over 20 years. Make a big return for a small investment. Sports Information Trader future picks. Get started now by going to sportsinformationtraders.com slash blue. Again, make sure you go to sportsinformationtraders.com slash blue to have your chance at 15 times this return betting season. And trust me, I'll definitely be betting with these guys. The preseason games are starting, and a lot of these games aren't really so much for veterans. I guess some veterans that want to prove them, themselves worthy, right? They might be on some new team. Maybe they're older, and they just want to they just want to prove that they can still play. I saw Morris Claiborne get signed soon. I think I had him listed as one of my top free agents still available. Well, he, he, he got signed, and he got signed with the Eagles. Where'd he go? I feel like he went to the same place Morris Claiborne went. I mean, uh, uh, Orlando Skandrick went. I don't remember exactly where he got signed. But anyways, he did get signed to a team. So Morris Claiborne, uh, maybe they listened to my podcast and they were like, oh, well, Croc said Claiborne can play and he's available. I signed his ass, right? So I did that. Anyways, um, I'm, I'm, I'm watching guys, you know, and obviously this preseason is a lot more for the younger guys. And there's this dude that jumped out and it's like, God damn. I just talked about this too. I, I feel like everything I talk about on the podcast, a lot of it is coming to fruition. But anyways, Jimmy Moreland. And I talked about how Jimmy Moreland, if you go back, I, I want to say it was the last podcast episode, maybe the one before. But I talked about how there's just certain guys that make plays. They're just born to do it. They're, they're born. To, I, I, I just said this. They're born to make plays. And I mentioned Jimmy Moreland specifically. I said the dude had... 18 interceptions at James Madison. He he holds the record at that school. You don't get 18 interceptions on accident. If you get 18 interceptions, you're doing something right. And a lot of times you just have a knack for making plays. And, and, and I said, a lot of teams, I feel like sometimes they go after these guys and the, the guys have never made plays. And they expect these guys to be just all of a sudden a, a light's going to click and they're going to just make all these plays, right? So I, I think I referenced Reuben Foster. Reuben Foster, zero takeaways in college. And I, I, I don't mean, I mean, no forced fumbles, no fumble recoveries, no interceptions, no nothing. Reuben Foster was not a playmaker. He got to the NFL. People are like, oh, I think he's going to get four interceptions, five interceptions. Yeah, I, he's never made a play in his life. Just big hits. Well, he gets to the 49ers, tremendous football player, but, well, he has some off-the-field issues. But anyways, zero interceptions, zero forced fumbles, zero fumble recoveries. It didn't change. Jimmy Moreland, again, 
18 interceptions in college. He's a rookie. He's, I mean, he got drafted late, fifth, sixth round, something like that, seventh round. Tremendous athlete. Now, I really liked his skill set. Well, he gets in his first preseason game, and what does Jimmy Moreland do? They targeted him like three times on one drive. I'm going to put these plays on, on, the, on the Press Coverage Podcast um, Twitter account. I always say I'm going to do that, and I always forget, but I'm actually going to do it this time. They targeted him like two, three times on one drive. He, he broke up those passes, and then they targeted him another time. Dude caught the ball, but guess what Jimmy Moreland did? Ripped the ball out. Guess who picked it up? His teammate. Is anybody surprised that Jimmy Moreland made that play? I'm not. Jimmy Moreland makes plays. That's what he does. Now, he didn't stop there. There was, there was another play, this one, just like the last one, near the end zone. A running back's trying to get, go into the end zone. And guess what? Jimmy Moreland rips the ball out. Do force two fumbles. It's not a coincidence. He's a playmaker. How do guys like that slip in the draft? Like, it's like a trait. Like, I, I know you guys play Madden. Madden has these, uh, these, these traits. And these, you know, they make you do like, you know, different special things. You might be like somebody that rips the ball out well, right? And you're a big hitter and you force fumbles. Well, Jimmy Moreland is just a playmaker, period. Anytime he steps on the field, he makes plays. I feel like people need to kind of take that into consideration when they're scouting these players and just know this guy has a knack for being around the ball. There's no way Jimmy Moreland should have slipped that far down. I get it, but undersized. 5'9", 5'10", 180 pounds, whatever, ran very well, but he can cover, and he makes plays. And he did it for the Redskins in the first preseason game, and he's going to continue. You guys keep an eye on Jimmy Moreland, this guy. And I guess since, you know, I'm giving love to Jimmy Moreland, I guess I'll start highlighting some other rookies that are making plays around the league. Uh, I saw Nikhil Harry make a couple of, Catches that. It's like, okay, so Nikhil Harry. If you guys go back, um, actually, I started this podcast like right when draft was happening. So I, I don't know if I talked a whole lot about Nikhil Harry, but I wasn't particularly high on Nikhil Harry because I I just thought he struggled downfield to get separation and, you know, he, he can't outrun guys. I, I thought his hands were a little. Uh, Des Bryant-ish, right, um, over the middle. Sometimes he just drops random passes. And I, I thought he would be better suited in a slot. And uh, But one thing he, he was, you know, he had a tremendous trait to just go up and get the ball, whether it's a fade, back shoulder. He's tremendous at that. And I was just like, ah, how does that translate to the NFL? He can't beat guys. Well, he played against the Lions and – Guess what he did? You know, just, I was just talking about Jimmy Moreland and just a playmaker. He just does this. He just does that. He just he just does it, right? Well, I guess the same could be said for Nikhil Harry because he was going up and catching these back shoulder fades and, you know, just being very physical and aggressive with receiver, uh, with defensive backs at the top of the routes. And I was just like, damn, Nikhil Harry is doing what he did in college. <laughs> Not really running away from people. Um, but he's catching those 50-50 balls. He, he's just good at it. He has a knack for it. Um, I, I'm going to show you. And I'm going to watch closely because, hey, maybe they tried that 10 times and only caught two of them, and I just happened to see the two. 
I don't know, but I do know when I did see it, I was like, damn, it's what dude did in college, right? Looks like the same guy to me, physical. And I, I was trying to see, you know, how would the Patriots use him? Would they use him more as a big slot? But at least in the clips I saw, he was playing on the outside. Now, uh, me being a 49er fan, I got a front row seat to see uh, Debo Samuel and Jalen Hurd. And they did what they did in college, right? Um, Jalen Hurd was up first. He caught this uh, crosser over the middle, turned up field, and just ran through like three Cowboy players and went into the end zone. Now, Jalen Hurd, if you guys don't know, he was a running back at Tennessee. And he was running back for, what, three years. He even led the SEC in rushing one year. So he's a legit running back. Now, the thing with him playing running back is the dude is 6'5", 230 pounds. And he was even heavier then. He was closer to, like, 245 or something like that, something crazy like that. But he's 6'5". Like, what kind of running back is that? Well, he wanted to switch the receiver, and his reasoning was he just felt like he would have more of a legit career playing receiver in the NFL than he would running back, which is probably right, right? You don't see any 6'5 running backs in the NFL. You just don't see it. Dude's a legit 6'5". Well, he's like a shade under 6'5". He's like 6'4 and a half. But anyways, 230 pounds. So he wanted to switch the running back, um, I mean receiver. Tennessee was like, no, you're not going to do it. So he said, okay, I'm going to transfer. So he sat out a year. He transferred to Baylor. Baylor, um, the unplayed receiver. And he looked good. He looked good. And, you know, he had like 60-something catches, 70-something catches, um, almost 1,000 yards receiving. They also used him in, in the backfield as a running back, which was pretty cool. I liked how they kind of did that, just utilized him. Well, the 49ers saw his skill set, and, I mean, dude runs routes. Like, a lot of a lot of the things I heard on him coming out with, oh, he, he's raw. He's a raw receiver, yada, yada. No, he's not raw. Look at how he runs these routes. People that are 6'5", 230 shouldn't be moving how he moves. He moved extremely well for somebody his size. He, like, really runs routes, good quickness, and now the breaks, all that good stuff. Where he was a little raw was 50-50 balls because, well, he'd been playing running back all his life, and now you're, you know, you're throwing fades up to him. It was something that he he wasn't really familiar with. Um, contested catches in general, something he really wasn't used to doing, right? It's, it's a lot different catching a pass where the defensive back draped all over you um, compared to what he was used to catching, you know, out out of the backfield in space, things like that. Well, the 49ers, they said, you know what? Got him on the deep on the deep crosser, ran into the end zone, boom, ran through three people. Late in the fourth quarter, said, you know, we're at the 10-yard line. Got this big 6'5 receiver. Still a fade to him. Threw a fade to him. He came down with it, uh, too. They also threw a screen to him that game, a little, uh, uh, like a little bubble screen. Uh, it was right now. Boom, picked up like 15 yards. So he did his thing. He had three catches for, like, what, 35, 40 yards, something like that, two touchdowns. Great. Then you had Debo Samuel. They said, you know what? Let's do what he did in college. Let's get him comfortable. First time he touched the ball was an end around. It was a little reverse. They gave it to him. He cut up field, got 15 yards. Boom, finished uh, finished the run strong. Next time they got him the, the ball, deep crosser. Got a deep crosser in space, picked up a bunch of yards. They said, you know what, let's give him the ball again. They threw a fade to him, 45 yards, jumped over the defensive back, Michael Jackson from uh, Miami, jumped on his head, <laughs> came down with the ball, and it's just like, damn, good job, man. Dude's standing out. 
Now, I, I've been so busy. I want to look into a bunch of games and kind of see how these rookies around the league are doing. I did get a chance to check out Trayvon Mullen. Um, he was my CB2 in the draft. I, I thought he played well for the Raiders. They ran a lot of cover, too. They got a new defensive coordinator. Actually, I think they ran a lot of that zone last year. And I think that's where Conley, Garyon Conley, um, he's going into his third year from Ohio State. He kind of struggled a little bit in zone. And, man, I think he excelled. But they ran a ton of cover two, uh, usually the cover two or cover four in the preseason game against the Rams. But Trayvon Mullen, he 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 looked good. I like what I saw from him. Um, he was like a Raider. All right, so I'm going to go through and I'm going to look at a bunch of other rookies and just kind of see who's standing out. I saw Miko Hartman score. Um, he looks fast as ever. And, goddamn, they let him go to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I saw that, and I was like, that's going to be a problem. They dropped him second round. Uh, but, yeah, I'm I'm going to look more into some of these uh, uh, rookies and kind of see who's shining. Juan Thornhill, I want to check in on him. Uh, yeah, I'm looking to a lot of guys. Riley Ridley, did he play for the Bears? I want to see that. So, hey, that's it for this episode. I'm going to get back with you guys, and um, I'll try to drop a bunch of clips of some of these uh, rookies and just see how they're doing around the league, checking on guys. You guys let me know if there's anybody you want to see. Hey, if you guys want me to do a deep dive on a uh, a rookie, um, maybe with how he plays, it's kind of hard because there's no all 22 for preseason, but you know, I got the games. I'll be able to watch everything and uh, you guys check it out here, right here on the Press Coverage Podcast.